Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. RuPaul, I'm feeling very excited. It's time for Must Have Seen TV, the podcast dedicated to the sitcoms of the 20th century from I Love Lucy to News Radio. I'm your TV guy, Brett White, and I'm also a senior reporter producer for Decider.com. And as you can tell by that RuPaul quote, actually Pearl as Big Ange, we're in Pride Month territory now, which means we're going to be talking about um, a gay episode of a straight sitcom from before. Ellen came out of the closet, and this week I have joining me the co-host of this head Oscar Buzz Chris File. Hi, Chris. Hi. <laughs> okay, this is maybe. I mean, technically, this is a straight sitcom. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> technically, there are, there are no canonical homosexuals amongst the show, but right. uh, the gays love this show. Uh, the gays see themselves in this show. Um, but yeah, so let's let's start off with the general chit chat. Tell tell the listeners about your very gay podcast that you have yourself. Uh, yeah, because I think I co- it's pretty gay. It's a pretty gay topic. <laughs> it's 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 two gay men uh, pontificating about actresses and trophies for actresses and uh, trophies for movies and such. Yeah, I co-host uh, this at Oscar Buzz with Joe Reed. We do not talk about movies that won Oscars. We do not talk about movies that were nominated for Oscars. We talk about movies that were either predicted or positioned or campaigned for. Uh, like movie award season Oscars and then received no nomination. So uh, <laughs> forgotten things such as uh, we're doing a whole mini series on focus features right now, as of recording our <laughs> most recent episode that dropped was less caution. We've also done movies that are more punchlines like the Jennifer Aniston movie cake. We have done <laughs> cats. We have done such gay movies as Roland Emmerich's abysmal abomination Oof. Stonewall. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, we have a good time, but we talk about more than just the movie. We talk about like awards ethos itself. We talk about pop culture. We obviously talk about like actors and actresses we love. It's it's a time. We, it's a uh, we, we, we yeah we have a good time. So, <laughs> Are there uh, any mo- what is what is a 2021 movie that you foresee being future fodder that you think oh. is definitely getting buzzed, but you don't think is going to get nominated for nothing? We will definitely see, and it like it feels like those wheels are just beginning to start. Like I think a lot of people are looking at in the heights, and I can imagine that uh. that will go the distance. But um, uh, maybe one that I'm looking forward to probably most that could really go in either direction, and I could really see it bottoming out hard is um, Michael Showalter's Eyes of Tammy Faye. Oh yeah, I'm so excited for this movie just because like. Uh, Who's... Jessica Chastain is playing Tammy Faye for Michael Showalter. Oh my god! <laughs> so it's it's going to be very specific. Andrew Garfield is going to play Jim Baker. It's um, it wow. could it could be a real mess, um, but it could also be very good. Um, so that's maybe <laughs> one that I could see that way. Um, that is exciting. There's always like. Uh, there's always things on the horizon, like Ridley Scott has two whole movies coming out this year, um, one of which is like an ancient uh, war epic starring Ben Affleck and Matt Damon that's also co-written by Nicole Holofcener. Uh, and then there's the Gucci movie, which like, again, that's oh, man. a movie that could go anyway. Wow, um, this, is a, this is a big year. I mean, what about Fast 9? 
Oh, definitely not. <laughs> There's no way. There's just no way. I, I, no way. Because it, it's going to get nominated for something. Honestly, it could get a special effects or sound design or something. Listen, if it makes more money than anything else, who knows? Who cares, but, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, before we get into it, listeners, I'm going to keep haranguing y'all um, because there are five Wednesdays in June. I'm trying to do four Pride Month episodes, but then I have this fifth vestigial wednesday hanging around on june 30th and since it's the year anniversary of uh my hayden rourke biography episode that i did last june i would like to do a hayden rourke q and gay uh, <laughs> i literally just thought of that probably ain't gonna work uh q a if anyone has any questions about my year-long research and deep dive into uh the annals of gay history and i dream of genie and hayden rourke and my talks with Ed Asner, Barbara Eden, the children of Larry Hagman and Bill Daly. It's been a roller coaster of a year, people. So you can email musthaveseentv at gmail.com or uh, at me on, at, on Twitter. Um, and maybe if there's enough questions, I will do a mail episode. And if not, you'll know I didn't get any questions because there won't be an episode and it will be embarrassing in retrospect. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) this is me um, always begging for validation and et cetera. But anyway, this way we are traveling this week. We are traveling to October 5th, 1987. Fatal Attraction ruled the box office. Here I go again by White Snake Top the Charts and CBS aired the Designing Women episode, Killing All the Right People. Chris, you must have seen Killing All the Right People before today have yes um designing women was definitely one of those early shows for me like in the two-hour syndication block at like dinner time yes it was one of the early ones before like friends and fraser hit syndication and it bumped those shows off like there's always a certain food chain for like the syndication or at least there was when yeah. i was a uh younger I guess kid. that doesn't exist anymore well i mean i guess no kids now syndication isn't real Yeah, God, because for me, it was like when dinner comes, it was always like Simpsons, Home Improvement, Seinfeld, and then like Frasier or Mad About You. Like it was always Mm -hmm. in that kind of realm. Or you go on Lifetime and they're just playing Golden Girls 24 hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) And then Designing Women later, I think. (laughs) Yeah, but like this is the era when it was still too recent for any of those shows to be on TV land. Yes, yeah. Um, so it's a very like specific time, like full disclosure. I apologize. I, um, I would have been a very newborn baby when this episode aired. I mean, I would have been um, three. So, so yeah. you too were a yeah. baby. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like this, this is a show that occupies a certain time in my life where I was like, becoming aware of television and like i don't have a memory of actually seeing this episode until much much later and like in adulthood and like this is you know obviously a very like classic much discussed like gay episode of television where it's like even if you aren't you know doing everybody's rewatching the nanny now so it's like even if you're not doing a rewatch of a certain show that you'll jump back to just watch that episode because yeah about it I mean, this is this is iconic. I think that this comes a couple years before Golden Girls. Uh, they had an AIDS episode, I don't know, 88 or 89, where, where, where Rose thinks she might have AIDS for 72 hours. Yeah. Which is, there, there are like three phases of Golden Girls. It's like the first couple seasons are like just very good, great classic comedy. And then the middle is like, all of a sudden, there are a lot of issues <laughs> that they're tackling, like elderly homelessness, <laughs> to like Reaganomics and stuff, but still funny. And then the end of it is just like Mitchell Horowitz gets involved and it's just kooky bananas. And it's also great. Um, so they, of course, did an AIDS episode, but uh, Designing Women, for some reason, Golden Girls is sworn enemy got to it first. There was a weird feud between those shows. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it was only one sided. I think Golden Girls did not like Designing Women, but Designing Women did not care, I think. Well, yeah, because uh, Golden Girls was way more appreciated. I mean, like, uh, Designing Women wasn't a chump in the ratings. Like, it, it was a show that did well, but, like, mm-hmm. they didn't r- win, like, Emmys for this show, whereas, like, Golden Girls was what it was. All four of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's actually interesting to hear. I didn't know that there was a rivalry of well, sorts was, between the two shows. Yeah, like the the showrunners of Golden Girls just they just kind of shittily thought that Designing Women just stole. Like they were like, "What another show with four women? How di-? like you know, 
as if they had invented that, which is kind of like, that's weird. Like, you should want more all-female casts on television. Right. Um, and then, and so well, then I mean, are, it's also like five women, kind of. Yeah, and then there's also Meshach Taylor is hanging around, and then there's yeah, yeah there's the old uh, was it Alice Ghostly? Is that who that is? Yes, 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 yeah, uh, bewitched. Um, so yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so this week on Must Housing TV, we're going to be talking about the Designing Women episode, "Killing All the Right People." It is the fourth episode of season two, and it was written by Linda Bloodworth Thomason, as is most every episode at this point, and directed by Harry Thomason. Here's how Hulu describes the episode. A wonderful young friend enlists the Sugar Baker firm's services for an unusual project. He is dying of AIDS and wants him to design his funeral, and Mary Jo becomes involved in a PTA debate over sexually active school students. Chris, how accurate is that description? <laughs> um, I mean, it's pretty accurate. Um, made more accurate through dialect. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I realized yeah. halfway through that my my kind of flippant, silly uh, accent, which is I'm from Tennessee, it's genuine, uh, was maybe not appropriate for a wonderful young man with AIDS asking him to plan a funeral. But <laughs> I mean, like it's still a lighthearted show, so yeah. it's like there's some of it where it's like you know you can tell that they have like a very special episode in mind, um, but still kind of are treading the uh, taste level. Um, in a way to still make it a lighthearted, silly show in a way that like, yeah, maybe it shows the strings of that effort uh, a little bit more <laughs> by today's standards. Yeah. You know, maybe we would be able to walk a finer line a little bit now. Um, but yeah, it's more that it kind of leans into like uh, its intention of being this like very important one-off episode. <laughs> So the the genesis of this episode comes from Linda Bloodworth Thomason's mother uh, contracted HIV and then AIDS through a blood transfusion. And when uh, she was in the hospital, basically like sitting while watching her mother die, she, of course, also saw just a lot of other gay men in the hospital and got to know a lot of them and also got to overhear nurses talking about how disgusted they were with all of it, including one of them saying, literally, at least it's killing all the right people. And that is where the title of this episode comes from. So, knowing that background, which I do not believe... I did um, research with newspapers.com to, like, t check out what the um, talk was in the leading up to this episode. Like, how they marketed it. And they did not mention... They just basically said, like, it's an AIDS episode. That demystifies it and, like, clarifies myths. But they didn't mention the um, very personal aspect <laughs> That is kind of key to understanding why this episode pulls no punches. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because that um, exact line is given to the villain of the episode, right? Imogene, um, straight up, Imogene. bitch. Horrible. Yeah. Don't like her. <laughs> uh, but you know what else doesn't pull any punches? The opening credits. No. <laughs> the perfect opening credits. I mean, the vibe of the opening credits. How would you describe the vibe of those opening credits? <laughs> um, very um, professional um, glamour shots. Um, yeah. You know, you get the multiple poses of each actress <laughs> in her frame. Yeah. Uh, with of course the corny uh theme music that is so wonderful yeah. and fabulous God, it's just so it is like, like being from tennessee this show represents a kind of south that i wish <laughs> actually existed <laughs> southern <laughs> democrats <laughs> oh god um am i <laughs> Anyway, uh, I know y'all yeah. are out there and you're fighting the good fight. Thank you so much. I ran away to New York and am I a coward? Maybe. Anyway, the, the episode. Well, <laughs> it's, it's also a very specific Southern Democrat because these are Clinton Democrats. These are late 80s Clinton Democrats. Very specific, very specific yeah. Southern demographic. And we're going to get to some things, some conversations that come up that are nowadays just like, that's weird. Uh, but the episode starts yeah. with Su uh, Delta Burke. Suzanne is um, complaining about how Imogene, the episode's villain, is over there bragging about her kid to Julia because that's just like what she does. She always has to, like one up. I did like that Suzanne mentioned Vanderbilt. Like if Julia's son's going to Vanderbilt, her son has to as well. Because like if you're from Tennessee, Tennessee or the South, Vanderbilt is our version of the Ivy League. Mm -hmm. And I, being from Tennessee, I know nothing about Ivy League schools. 
<laughs> That's just my jam. Uh, and in order to like make uh, Imogene just like placate her because it's her birthday, uh, Julia just says like, "Oh, pain's flunking chemistry." <laughs> yeah, just to yeah. make her feel good and to get her out the door too, so that she doesn't have to have some jockeying thing yeah. back and forth with this woman because she is awful. We don't. Yeah, yeah. Imogene's horrible. She's, she's they even dress her in comparison to the rest of the women too because mm-hmm. they're all in like pastels and light colors and then yes. she's in brown. Yeah, she's like at the end she's in head to toe brown wearing almost like an army helmet kind of like Sunday hat kind yeah. of like it's so rigid. It's Well, and uh, she even has like the brooch pinning the fabric up too so it almost looks like a military style badge too. Oh wow, she's militant. She's militant yeah. about her beliefs. Wow, that's actually costume designer. Good job. <laughs> this is where Julia then mentions that so this is one of those things sitcoms of the 80s are not structured the way that we are taught to think about sitcoms in the 90s and modern of like the ABC storyline. Sitcoms like Designing Women, Golden Girls did this very well. Like they would have very clear A, B, sometimes C storyline. It was very clear. Designing Women is it's written more like a one act play where there are asides that don't have payoffs. They are not a plot. They're just characters talking about random things. And so like Julia talks about like her mom is away, so she's taking care of Mrs. Clifton, who is the, like, baddie, like, older lady, and they're going to the symphony. We never see the symphony. It is not a <laughs> plot point. <laughs> but but they talk about it for a bit. But it does really kind of fill out, like, our idea of what this world is that yeah. they occupy and, like, their social circle. Because, like, there's only even, like, two sets in this episode, right? There's yeah. the school classroom and then there's the main set, their house. Man, right? what a but cheap, like, well, nice, good show to just crank them out. Budget, always <laughs> always yeah. under budget. Uh, even one of the reviews, uh, one of the, like, preview pieces that I found written about this episode actually points out, like, every Designing Women episode has a structure. It opens up with all them just talking about random stuff and then it gets into like the preachy part it was a good uh write-up but it did point out the very obvious formula mm-hmm. then we get uh charlene played by gene smart who i do feel like we have to have a side note to just talk about the renaissance the gene smartessence that in we are moment. in 2021 it's so interesting watching her in this show where she it's not quite the airhead of other sitcoms mm-hmm. you know she's not a phoebe buffet no she's airhead, not, a, she's not like, a rose no but she is like the ditz of the mm-hmm. group right and it's so interesting to see that it like in retrospect that is gene smart because like gene smart now is just defined by like uh grizzled competence oh my now. god like like her like her in Watchmen is so wild to think about Charlene holding a big blue dildo and that not being funny like that actually being a dramatic <laughs> serious moment that you're like this is art uh, Charlene might have been proud yeah <laughs> but like hacks and uh Mayor of Easttown she's in both of these mm-hmm. shows at the same time Doing two, like giving two quintessential Gene Smart performances, but also in very, very different yeah. characters, too, who get yes. a whole different range of uh, elements to play. I mean, she's the she's the actual star of Hacks. So that's one thing. But like yeah. uh, probably my favorite side bit that like all of Mayor of Easttown, for the most part, is just like local color. It's just mm-hmm. like character density but my favorite thing about the show is like she really just wants to be left alone so she can have some snacks and i find it very relatable oh yeah that's definitely a mood for 2021 (laughs) i mean speaking of snacks charlene comes in talking about the mini marts that she was at because it took forever to get through the line where she does uh have a line that is sort of like uh, uh very have no- 80s sitcom. Have you noticed how all mini marts are either being taken over by Middle Eastern people or teenagers? All the cashiers are either named Abdul or Kevin. Which is Does not hold up. Doesn't it's not age good. Well. I mean yeah, yeah, definitely doesn't. I don't like I would actually uh, 
Like, what is the crest of the stereotype of Middle Eastern people being cashiers at gas stations? Like, is this actually at the bottom of it? Like, it's starting, so therefore at the time it was kind of, like, cutting edge? Or was it already hacky then? <laughs> like, it's... I mean, it doesn't get the biggest laugh from the studio audience. <laughs> uh, no. And then they also just kind of just, like, move along. Like, they don't... Yeah. Again, it is not a plot point. Her, like, grudge against either Abdul or Kevin is not... Or Abdul and Kevin. Maybe they're both working at the Quickie Mart. Um, doesn't, it's not a plot point. So, <laughs> It's this weird half joke because, like, the idea that all teenagers are named Kevin is funny. Yeah. But, but then it's sandwiched in between, uh, racist humor. Yeah. 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 That definitely does not age well. Um, and then we go right into what, uh, Anthony is doing, Meshach Taylor. He's like, borrowing a bunch of communication equipment to go work like to like what film football games and he to inspire kids to get out of the ghetto or something like what? Yeah. like there was a weird I can't, so again like those these two things back to back was kind of was like oh god this is very 1987 yeah yeah, yeah. well and what uh again i'm gonna keep talking about this interview or um, what this review they actually pointed out uh the kind of and this is 1987 they pointed out that anthony is a weird dicey character because he's the only black man he's an ex-con and he works for a bunch of white women in the south and there was like there is a lot of and he is a great actor it's a great character he is funny he gets like he has dignity, but he is also silly. Like, he's a very well-rounded character, so I'm not coming for Anthony. <laughs> but it is also just, like, a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's working. Yeah, the intro is uh, uh, easy to uh, move on. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that... <laughs> once it gets to the plot of it, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that none of these were the actual plot. It's just, like, if you're watching, like, oh, please don't spend the next 15 minutes talking about this. <laughs> yeah. So don't act- have a conflict with uh, <laughs> your checkout person. Please, yes. Charlene. God. So, the actual plot comes because Anthony is uh, looking towards his friend, Kendall Dobbs, uh, who is played by the president from Scandal, Tony Goldwyn, right? Yeah, the villain from Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's also around this time. Yeah, it was, it was it a few, 90? three years later. Yeah. yeah, wow. So, hey, he's on the up and up. Um, <laughs> so he's helping out with like, because he used to be like a DJ and stuff. And so like he's coming over and like as soon as he mentions Kindle, all of the ladies light up like he's an icon. He's a star. He helps them out all the time, even though we've never seen him before. <laughs> they all just love him. <laughs> and uh, he also works at like a rival design firm, I think was the vibe I got. Like he he's at somewhere else because they, they he seems s- well off. You yeah. know, he comes in with like uh, it's like very well put together. Um, he's funding. Well, I we don't have to jump ahead, but like what he is there to talk to them about suggests a certain level of affluence, I guess. Yeah, because he's establishing a permanent thing that will go on long after he spoiler alert passes. Um, so he comes in and basically he he gets right to it. Kind of. He's like, I'm here. Actually, I want to talk to you all about a special project. And then the gag of it all is he says his funeral. So, yeah. And then, and then he, then they're all like, how you're so young. We find out later he's only 24 and it is because he has AIDS. So, how do you feel about this? <laughs> just so sad. I mean, like I said earlier, the, the episode does kind of, it, it's a, it's such a lighthearted show that like to tackle an issue like this, they're putting themselves on the path to, you know, uh, deal with a tricky balance and i think that it for the most part comes off well especially for the time and especially for the lack of discussion for this in like mainstream shows like this at the time um it does feel like i didn't necessarily love tony goldwyn's performance there was a little bit like and i'm sure some of that is like again walking that tonal balance for what the show has to be but there is like kind of an aw shucks element to it that it's like okay 
I get it, but like he just kind of flippantly says that he's dying. Um, yeah, it's almost like he's going on vacation. There isn't a lot of, but I guess I. So it's again like I uh, can't get in the mindset of like actually what it would be like because it's clear like he's probably like he's been thinking he's known he's going to die soon for a while. So I'm wondering like if there was an acting choice of like, well, he probably has thought about this all the time he would not be crying right now he would actually it would be actually at this point be very matter of fact because it's just how he has to live every day uh i did find out again by researching this that apparently and i don't know who this was they actually cast an actor with aids to play this role but when it came time to film he was too sick yeah and so they got tony goldwin and that and i and I only found that in like a newspaper from 1987, and I don't know like what actor that was or anything. Um, but I mean, it was printed in 1987, so it has to be true. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it's it's really they dissolve to a kitchen chat, like, and there's no laughs. There are no jokes in this entire scene, which I think yeah. is the smart thing to do, and it's how this normally like very like sassy, snarky uh, sitcom can get away with just having a. I don't know, three minute, just talk about the truth about AIDS. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the smart things that it does, and like, again, this is just to the formula of the show and how it, the the like level of like what an 80s sitcom was like and that it's not everybody has a story, but everybody's contributing to the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think each of the women get to contribute. It can feel a little like forced, like they're trying to feed information to an audience that probably has a lot of misinformation yes, or yeah. a lot of bias. You know, it does feel incredibly mild mindful in that way but it is really rewarding to see all of the characters kind of contributing to this conversation and uh all along the way affirming uh him as well what i like about this is that unlike a lot of other gay uh sitcom episodes no none of the four of them have to be convinced that he is not contagious or that he is wrong like all four of them from the jump already know that you can only get AIDS through like blood transfusion sex like actual like exchange of bodily fluids you can't get it from holding hands you can't get it it's not airborne like they already Mm -hmm. know that and that is a that was a very smart choice i really (laughs) i really appreciate that Mm -hmm. um and and um they even they give uh kindle the line of you know when i was at the hospital like on one side of me was a 65 year old uh grandfather who got it from a blood transfusion which now we know is personal that is literally Mm -hmm. uh the story and on the other side was like a teenager who got it from his boyfriend who got it from a girl he was also sleeping with or something like Mm -hmm. they do a good job of dispelling the rumors that it was a gay disease it was the gay cancer and it was only affecting gay people and i i think if you were younger i think if you were born in like 2000 it, it it probably doesn't hit you that designing women doing all this was definitely the first time that millions and millions of people heard this information Mm -hmm. because Ronald Reagan was not really (laughs) care. Didn't really care that much. Didn't even say anything. Yeah. Until 1985. So two years before this, but also like five years after it had started, you know, ravaging communities. I think that's important context too for watching it with a modern audience, because it, it might feel like they're kind of, uh, dissipating its role in, uh, gay society you Mm -hmm. know that they they are talking about other people that are affected and they are really selling that point and that's because of you know the context of what the conversation was what people were told you know so it 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 is actually important and they're very mindful to include it but i don't ever feel like you know how do i want to say this i don't feel like it's ever um trying to sell the audience on that Mm -hmm. and obscuring any of the gay stuff or diminishing or dehumanizing um, gay people with AIDS too, you know? Because when when they ask him, they're like, well, why do you want us to... He's like, I want y'all to plan my funeral. Y'all do such beautiful um, designs. I want y'all to, like, decorate it. And I want y'all to get, like, a a jazz band to play uh, this hymn, you know, from New Orleans. So I want that vibe. And and then after I'm gone... the line, this funeral deals with a lot of 
like AIDS patients and people who do not have anything. And I want this to stay up after I'm gone for future AIDS, like future funerals. Mm-hmm. And that it's just like so it's so heavy. Uh, it's, I, w- I was really struck by that, too, because, I mean, you look back in history in this era too. like people couldn't have funerals because funeral homes would refuse to serve them. Mm-hmm. And like it, it's a very like that's one of the parts where I was like, maybe Tony Gold- Goldwyn is doing a good performance and that it's not too like flippant because it's like it is a little bit more matter of fact. Uh, and like, but still like mindful and it at the time, you know, if people were uh, in their communities paying attention, they would know what that means. Yeah. And he also says that like he has to do all this because his parents are not happy with him. Like he's not mm-hmm. on speaking terms with his parents, which is but he wants to take care of because he doesn't want his parents to get saddled with the bill, which is like such a good son move. And I'm just mm-hmm. <laughs> part of me, like a vindictive like part of me is just like. Let them pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) Send them the bill. Send them the fucking bill. So they decide they are going to do it. Um, And then that is the act break. So then we come back and we we meet Mrs. Clifton, who is she comes in with Anthony because Anthony went to go pick her up. And she tells this long story about how her seatbelt was hanging out of the car and it was sparking along the highway so a cop pulled them over it was like you two are the weirdest couple i've ever seen like it was just a weird aside i love her so much yes well and then she's then they start talking about safe sex and she says like oh me and my husband always practice safe sex and it wasn't while it's cracked up to be my sex was always in bed and i was asleep which is about as safe as it gets and that's also like that ages interestingly yeah yeah <laughs> um good yeah (laughs) well yeah and and then she's saying is it to charlene she's like if you need it or it's to mary joe i think if you need advice on safe sex come to me (laughs) and it's just that that line alone coming out of her mouth is inherently the only like and i think that this much that's definitely why she's in this episode is because because she is kind of a like like just like a doofy sweet old lady she can inject comedy into this episode that is a comedy dead zone because mm-hmm. you cannot it's like you can't get mad at her for making jokes because she's innocent she doesn't know like she's just being herself and therefore it is funny and you're not like how do we get how do we get mary joe to drop a zinger in this moment <laughs> Which did not work but then so mary joe has to go to a pta meeting that night and she goes and this is where we meet this other there are two villains in this episode there are two villains in this episode this sweater vest wearing uppity goon (laughs) up there (laughs) advocating that like the best way to avoid like stds and whatever is abstinence which is still a fucking talking point in the year <laughs> the of our lord 2021 from a school today it, <laughs> god it is literally and then like mary joe who has just come from a guy that we know that she knows very well even though we've never seen him before she just found out he's dying because of a sexually transmitted disease and she like speaks up but then she actually like can't follow through like she's nervous yeah she has a character arc in this episode. Does she have the... Uh, she has the only character arc? Like, actual... I mean, you could maybe say that Julia has one Teeny. because of Imogene. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, even that is just like, I'm minding my words around this woman. Okay, I'm going to let her have it. Like, that's uh, that's yeah. about as close to an arc as somebody else gets. But, like, Mary Jo's point of view is so complicated because, like, she's kind of only half paying attention. And then after she, like, speaks up and then, like, just chickens out. I mean, yeah, she, she gives that woman a modicum of pushback. She gives yes. her just a tiny bit and then everybody is like, yes, you yeah. go against <laughs> her. Finally, someone will say something even like, vaguely against this woman. And like, she basically has to advocate for it's not really specific what they're trying to get. Like, the, the woman who opposes her makes it seem like it's the school is funding condom dispensation yeah. throughout the for all their students 
but th- she never really says what it's for. Basically, it's teaching at least safe yeah. sex. She sums it up because when Mary Jo gets nominated again, she's like half paying attention at this point because I think she's still rattled by Kendall's uh, reveal. And after she gets nominated, she has no say. And she's just like, wait, what, 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 what am I doing? What, what, what am I advocating for? And that's when, uh, <laughs> Maleficent or whatever comes over and she's like, condoms for teenagers. <laughs> Congratulations. And it's like, Jesus, I guess. Yeah, yeah. She is kind of this actual snarling, uh, Southern pta yeah. member well and like again the costuming she's always like buttoned all the way up she has like pilgrim mm-hmm. bows at her like under her neck like she is sweater <laughs> vest she's clutch if she had pearls on she'd be clutching them mm-hmm. so just then a we, fistful of pearls yeah just a fistful <laughs> back at the sugar baker and associates uh this is where like mary joe i i was always trying to figure out like where mary joe actually stands and i think it's kind of interesting that it isn't she's nuanced a lot of the characters on this show are very like this is the real tea (laughs) Mm -hmm. and at first it seems like she's actually just really nervous about being a a public speaker like she's like i don't know how to speak in public like i don't want to do this Mm -hmm. and she's also like kind of like confused about where she stands on advocating for safe sex for teens yeah Yeah, and like she uh, ultimately is very uh, facing about this, but I think um, being so close, we are told uh, that she is to Kendall, um, (laughs) gives her an avenue to like make it personal, to like also be able to understand why she would be advocating in that way. Yeah. Um, But yeah, she even is a little bit quieter in this kind of confrontation scene to Imogene. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she she does say that she's now been nicknamed the Condom Queen. I guess overnight, like, I don't know how much time has passed since the PTA meeting last night and them today, but I mean, maybe she went out to, like, the drugstore and everyone there was like, yo, Condom Queen, go get her! <laughs> yeah, this is like uh, pre-Facebook uh, PTA threads where, <laughs> you know, people would be uh, liking or disliking uh this woman being called condom queen (laughs) don't know who's calling her condom queen maybe the checkout person at the store said hello condom queen kevin is always making those jokes (laughs) yeah and i did so then we also got like suzanne had a joke about how like oh that's one title i wouldn't even go out for because pageant queen good joke uh charlene (laughs) then tells a story about um when she was a kid she like found her dad's condoms and like blew them up like balloons on her birthday yeah. don't know why she was going through her dad's drawer but they were there and then suzanne has a really interesting monologue about how i think she's anti-sex because it messes up your hair and yeah. looks weird yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just okay which i guess is like this episode needed some jokes so let's just give suzanne just a take <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the take. It's at this it's at this moment though that I noticed that back in the back there's a ghoul reading some books back there. Imogene is in the background. Yes, seated. Why is she there? She's doing some type of business with Julia, but Julia doesn't even acknowledge her in the scene and, and yeah. until we like see her back there. It is very like, I don't even know how an interior design firm works. Do you always go over to the house and then you like hang out and like, does have, it have to be in a house? Yeah. And like, wait, so that is also where she lives. Is that literally her kitchen, that tiny little area of the living room? She she is us in quarantine. She <laughs> yes. works from home. Yes, God. Uh, so Mary Jo is basically like, well, Julia, your nickname is the Terminator. Like you speak in public. You are so eloquent. You like pick your words. You lose them. You, you use them like a machine gun. Can you please show me how it's done? She's like, well, I have to get mad about something, which is basically a loaded Julia, like loaded Chekhov's Julia is her saying, I have to get mad about something first. You know, it's coming. <laughs> uh I did like that sh- that Suzanne is angry about how women's lib means that men don't kill bugs for ladies anymore. 
<laughs> yes, just in case, just in case any viewers at home were starting to feel uncomfortable with any progressiveness, she uh, has to say that, you know, men should be men and kill bugs. Yes. <laughs> That's all the um all the the Reagan and Bush fans out there in 87 were like hell yeah. Yeah. That's right. But <laughs> I'm a real man. I kill bugs. Yes. <laughs> Don't let my wife kill no bugs for me. Um I'm a real man. Real men squash spiders. Uh and then this is where Kendall uh Charlene like takes his hand and he brings up the fact that the hospital nurses didn't even want to touch him, which Coming after what Suzanne just said is a sharp turn from funny into just titanically depressing. Mm -hmm. But that is when Imogene hears what's going on. And much like Jasmine Masters, she's got something to say. Boy, does she ever. She is. Uh, I mean, like, this felt very true to this type of person. She is unabashed and unashamed to just throw her nastiness right into the ring and have no shame about it. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of thing that I don't like. It's the kind of thing that before 2020, I would have in the back of my mind had hope that even the worst of us would not be this bad. But after, like, hearing all the stories from people that I know of like getting physically assaulted for wearing masks in a Tennessee target. It's like, Oh yeah, no, this is, this is literally how a lot of assholes are is they would at a place of business that they are patronizing say to another client, you deserve to die for being gay. Mm -hmm. This is God's punishment for you. You disgust me. Like, wow. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it, you know, because it's in a sitcom, you think it's potentially going to be this cartoonish character, but it's honestly very close to reality. Yep. And the moment that it just hits is actually very smart writing because you uh, you mentioned the hand holding thing, which is obviously like this emotional beat for it. And then it almost immediately launches into that. So, yep. like, it invites us in the audience to, like, have this moment of connection and then be righteous with them when yeah. they are when they take Imogene's task she I mean like she says like you reap what you sow she says the titular line this disease is killing all the right people and like I do like that all of like first Suzanne stands up and she's like if it's killing gay people why does it affect lesbians so much less and again like any uh brainwashed <laughs> Like in the deep end conservative whack job, she's when confronted with logic, it's just like, well, Jesus said. Yeah, that, she's like, well, I don't know anything about that. that no, but, but I am 100 percent certain that this is disease specifically for that gay over there. And it's not good. No. So I, we need to talk about Julia's interesting arc that happens right around this time, because she, at, before she says Her point of view before Imogene starts wilding out is that she's angry that Hollywood producers are now using AIDS and being afraid of AIDS as a reason to have characters resist being promiscuous in like movies and TV shows. When in Mm -hmm. her opinion, it should be morality and classiness that keeps people from sleeping around. It's a it's a it's a. That's a take. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the one that I was like, what is she arguing for here? She's saying that they should have already been doing uh, that. Characters should have already been more chaste or something. It's an interesting kind of like like a different way to say it. it, (laughs) There's a better way for her to have said that. Usually when I watch episodes like these, I have in my head what I think characters are going to say when they start talking. And when she starts talking, it's like. Hollywood is now going to use start using AIDS to scare people about gay people is like what mm-hmm. I was expecting her to say. But then she turns out to be like sex negative. Like she doesn't want, you know, sex before marriage, promiscuity. Uh-uh-uh. Like she's like, it's good that they are sex negative in movies now, but not for this reason. But yeah. That's also not. She has this real backdoor way of saying it. That's uh, uh, not it, very confusing. Yeah. <laughs> but she comes. She kind of comes around i feel okay so what does she actually say to 
imaging because like they all get to contribute something which is what i like yeah because like even uh you know they say like you can't it's not airborne you can't get it from touching you lesbians don't get it so it isn't just affecting gay people and then julie i wrote it down because it's just iconic like she's had it at this point when he says or she says I've known you for 27 years, and all I can say is, if God was giving out sexually transmitted diseases to people as a punishment for sinning, then you would be at the free clinic all the time. The audience goes wild. It's amazing. And then she adds, and so would the rest of us, which is a really good addition Mm -hmm. to that, I think. And it is kind of her quickly doing a one... A 160? <laughs> <It's, Yeah. laughs> because she says that in response to AIDS is God's punishment for you gays. Like, that is the thing that then, like, sparks her, you know, gets her Terminator uh, red eyes going. And she realizes, like, no, bitch, you sin all the fucking time. <laughs> you are a lying, jealous, uh, horrible monster. Um, he, let's, let's go to town. Uh, and it's, it's a good moment. It was nice to hear the audience go so wild for Imogene being torn apart in the late 80s and hear the audience supporting it, even if it's canned and they have flashing signs telling them to cheer, whatever. It is very cathartic knowing uh, what like the tenor of the (laughs) general populace was towards AIDS to hear um, an audience applaud this horrible woman being taken to task. It's great. And especially compared to Cheers is the Boys in the Bar, which is like, I think, four years before this. And Diane has a lot of these Julia moments where she is the script is very blunt in how Diane is like, hey, Cliff, Norm, Carla, you are being bigots. Like she just thought she calls them bigots. She um basically says that they want to lynch gay people. Like those are the lines that she says. And every time she says them, you can feel through the streaming service, the air sucked out of that audience. Like it is very like, <gasps> and I'm, I'm so glad that the show did that in 1983. Like to take that firm of a stance to call your own characters bigots is... <sighs> And then, of course, they never address it again. But, you know, it's still great. (laughs) (laughs) And she stayed friends with them. Yes. uh, Because, you know, that's what we do with our friends that are homophobic. We just stay (laughs) friends with them. Cliff is uh, closeted. That's my headcanon. Um, John Ratzenberger would love that. Uh, And then, well, then even Mrs. Clifton gets a read in because, like, is it that is she she was responding to imaging saying like you're not all there up here like in the head yeah and then she says yeah but you're not all there here um to her chest so like she's the one i love that she's the one that gets to say you don't have any humanity yes you do not you are a heartless ghoul yeah (laughs) um because she like you said she's just this sweet old lady so like her her being in this episode feels very intentional to me because she's the absolute right person to be able to look at that woman and say you're a heartless piece of crap yeah fuck off get out and then she's like well i, I you know take my business elsewhere and julian's like bye bitch i don't want your business mm-hmm. and then she yells out after her that pay pain her son's name is pain yeah that's, that a, very, that's right. a very southern name she yells out He's getting all A's, even in P-E. So she says she draws out P-E in a weird way. <laughs> Which... You got the laugh. I mean, we should also maybe mention, um, and this felt, uh, I was really grateful for this, too, because, like, it, like we talked about, like, some of the criticisms uh, in regards to other characters. It's an all-white uh, female cast, basically, having this argument. But they do still allow Kendall to speak up for this, too. So, like, yeah. the trap is that this very easily could have been... Uh, cis straight women talking about gay issues you know without uh with a gay person in the room who doesn't get to speak but (laughs) it avoids that and i think that is uh commendable which is the trap which is the trap that all these episodes have because there were no gay series regulars on a tv show before Mm -hmm. 1997 i mean the closest you had no well martin mole leon became our series regular in like the last season or two of roseanne so like 
but like it's it is rare and it is uh it's a trap you always have because the gay always comes in for a week and then is gone um and then we get resolution to our PTA scene. Also, I want to point out on Hulu, these episodes are like 21 minutes. And I know when they aired, they were like 24. So there is like three minutes of this episode that. At the beginning, it fades to black at one point and then comes back. Yeah. So I do think that they cut a chunk out. Yeah. So I, I do want to know like what they what they took out. Um, I have the DVDs, So maybe I should look at that. Um. So then we are now back at this debate because they reconvened a week later because they wanted to get more appearance and a vote and stuff on whether or not they're going to make sure their kids don't die of STDs. And Mary jo- Mary Jo is doing all the right stuff. She's pointing out that this literally is not reality. It is not real that no, like you talking to your kids is going to stop them from doing anything. Then there's a gun control metaphor, which is also like, man, it, we are running out of time, and you're getting into other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you're bringing up guns now, girl. Jeez. It is like, it, what is the metaphor she used? She's like, she basically says, uh, you can't take away the guns, so that's why we advocate for gun control. Yeah. Like, and like, that's what a condom is. Condoms are gun control. That's that's the yeah. takeaway from this episode. Um <laughs> It, so, it yeah. is, yeah, it's a lot to introduce at the very last minute. But then, like, I I do hate that Mary Jo, even in her ultimately progressive stance of, like, we sh- we need to provide teenagers with the means to protect themselves. But she still has to say, you know, I'm all for abstinence. And obviously, that is the, like, best solution is to not even have sex. But we can't pretend that that's not good. That's, you know, the way it's going to really mm-hmm. be. And I hate that we still even have to couch the truth behind, under the veil of like, but I mean, abstinence obstin- ob- obviously is the best. Yeah. But no, <laughs> I hate that. And it, it, it did actually feel that way. It didn't feel like she was, you know, manipulating the room in a way because that could have also been a valuable like tactic, but yeah. it truly felt genuine of that's, you know. Well, yeah, which is... What indicative of her arc and why she was like so hesitant at first and like basically she's like a person who's never been called on to take a firm stance on this and now mm-hmm. all of a sudden she has to take firm stances on it in like two plot lines in a sitcom episode <laughs> and mary joe uses kindle as an example in a speech without naming him which i thank you <laughs> thank you mary joe <laughs> for not being like my gay friend over there in the back watching this pta meeting yeah (laughs) (laughs) kindly showed up for my meeting he's in the back of the class he's the one with the curly blonde hair yeah that's my friend that is my gay friend no she's it's not like that yeah it's just like i know someone who has and i do like that she says um like condoms are not just about preventing births or about preventing deaths and then she says like you know, our kids are going to make horrible mistakes and like do they're going to like screw up and whatnot. But no one. But I don't think they should have to die for it, which is great. I think. Yeah. And that's really what it is. You shouldn't have to die for having having sex. Yeah. It is a fine line that the episode walks really well because you also don't want Kendall to just be a device for her to get what she wants, you know, and I think it it does avoid uh, doing that and does it without, you know, shaming him or, you know, uh, putting it in a way like he did something bad. Like, no, it's not. No, they're very even like. Still, the vibe of the whole thing is like basically the the thesis statement of the episode is AIDS is not a punishment, period. Like it is not a punishment. It is not a punishment for sinning. It is not a punishment for gay people. It's not a punishment for having sex. It is a disease, Um, which is, uh, yeah, I mean, that was definitely the vibe at the time. And I mean, the vibe today uh, in still certain areas. And then we get the last scene of the episode, which is, oh, God, like, fade to black, fade back up on a casket with a beautiful jazz band playing that hymn that I can't remember the name of, and then panning over, and there are our designing women surrounded by a bunch of men with mustaches, Uh, and, I mean, like, yeah. He got his New Orleans jazz band. Yeah, and it's like, oh, the episode ends. He's dead. The episode ends. Like, yep. And, uh, yeah, it's it like, 
that's a it's a that's an ending they yeah i mean like it could have also been it could have really been i feel like i'm just like it could have been the worst version of what it sounds like but it's not <laughs> like on every beat in this episode but truly this ending could have been this kind of um <laughs> test run? like maudlin grotesque thing but i do think it actually oh, yeah. ends really gracefully and sweet and um in some ways does feel like uh, I mean, fantasy sounds like a harsh word, but like we know that so many people didn't get to have that, you mm-hmm. know, um, didn't get to have anything at all. And what a tragedy that is that, you know, I think it kind of prevents, uh, not prevents, presents a vision to an audience, perhaps also one that is trying to open their hearts and minds mm-hmm. um, of what uh, people could have that they're being denied the dignity yeah. that they're that is having it, like, ripped from them it is very sad and heartbreaking and like very i mean it's, it's very merciless in a way it's just like this is the truth but it is also so uh beautiful dignified for a character that we just met you know 18 minutes ago it does feel very um powerful dignified as i keep saying um and celebratory cathartic Especially mm-hmm. seeing all of those men. And I mean, like, I i mean, this is, I have a mustache because I am gay. I don't have a mustache because my dad always had one. <laughs> I have one because <laughs> I'm a gay man. And it's a, it, I mean, I don't know, it's a weird little token thing. But it is, it, it connects me to my, you know, gay forefathers. These men in 1987 who, I mean, do you think that all those extras might have been actual gay men? Like, I mean, I feel like maybe... I mean, because- if the show had enough intention that they initially were trying to get a gay actor for mm-hmm. Kendall, uh, I would believe it. Um, yeah. God, I would like to know where all those men are now. And yeah, if yeah. Yeah. So, God, this is one of those like, uh, how th- how much of a therapy session do we want this to get? Into? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, uh, if anything, it's like this episode, as we've kind of talked about, has, you know, that balance of not even bittersweet, but just the truth. Like you said, yep. this is how it is. Yep. Um, while still, you know, giving a satisfying episode that probably, you know, I can really imagine, you know, the audience for this show, because even a lot of liberal people at the time did not um, did not do right by history in terms no. of aids um so i it could have had its impact good for designing women uh are you ready for some must-have facts about this episode yes please (laughs) lay them on me millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, so about, so in terms of how many people actually watched this episode, 16.5 million people watched this episode of designing women that is all about uh aids that is a huge dumper um when the president of the united states was refusing to even say the word aids 16 million people getting this story is significant. From, from designing women well and it was also 11th for the week and i think that it was up from 23 the previous week so mm-hmm. a lot more people tuned in for this episode uh which i think is great um the top five shows that week were number five moonlighting number four who's the boss number three growing pains two murder she wrote and number one the cosby show 
What do you think about those top five shows? <laughs> Any strong feelings? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, much love to Murder, She Wrote. Number uh, two. I, I, that was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Good for Jessica Fletcher. Yes, I mean, uh, all respect to Jessica Fletcher's name and legacy. <laughs> uh, uh, so this episode aired as part of CBS's iconic Monday Night lineup, the 1987 iteration. So this is pre-Murphy Brown. Um, the lineup at that time was Frank's Place, followed by Kate and Allie, then Newhart, Designing Women, and then Cagney and Lacey. So, you know, there's a lot of gay stuff going on that night. <laughs> I mean, Kate and Allie, Cagney and Lacey, lots of, like, ladies together. <laughs> Having fun. Monday night is for the ladies. Were you a CBS Monday night kid, or were you a uh, Thursday night NBC or Friday night ABC? I went through such stages. I mean, I was probably, like, an every single day syndication kid more mm-hmm. than I was anything in actual prime time it took me probably until high school and it to my great shame it's probably that i was more of a fox american idol kid um <laughs> i apologize <laughs> please know that i have changed i have grown i have uh, <laughs> you know i've done all of that i've had retribution um and then i mean like I, my high school days were like the beginning of Project Runway. Yeah. So like I was, I a lot of my like must watch stuff in certainly in prime time, like as it was airing, was a lot of reality TV. Well, I don't, yeah, and also like early two thousands are a garbage time for sitcoms. I'll just get out there yeah. and say it. Um, <laughs> oh. uh, so I mean, I was coming yeah, of it's age. It's also like coming off of the time when a lot of the big shows were ending, right? Yeah, I and mean, like Frasier and I, uh, Friends are in their last stretch. Will and Grace is in its last stretch. Seinfeld ended in ninety nine, so like or ninety eight. So you're yeah, a lot of things are ending. I mean, yeah, my house, my high school and middle school time was what ninety eight to two thousand two, so pretty peak. And then I was also obsessed with uh, News Radio and Third Door from the Sun in middle school, which I watched those in syndication. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I was obsessed with my like nightly TV. I had my schedule. I, I when I got a computer, I got Microsoft Paint and I recreated all the logos of all the shows. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm a nut job. Um, so this was, a, of course, nominated for a writing Emmy. Did not win. I did not look up what beat it, but I imagine it definitely was not better than this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now, yeah, so Joyce Millman from the San Francisco Examiners, who I've been quoting this entire time, uh, she wrote in her like preview piece for this. Uh, this episode carefully debunks myths. The women embrace Kendall and hold his hand and urges safe sex. And then she adds, in a departure from the show's usual heavy-handed tear-jerking, the episode takes its lead from the dry-eyed Kendall and maintains an uplifting tone of resolve. Accurate. That's basically what we said. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Joyce Millman, we're on the same wavelength here. We um, agree, Joyce. Yeah. Uh, on IMDb, 136 designing women... Uh, fans rated this a 9.3 out of 10 do you think that's too high is it accurate is it right on the money what would you say that's pretty good i mean especially for this show i think this is one of the more like discussed and iconic episodes it's a really satisfying episode um yeah i would go with that that's cool yeah i would give it yeah i think i think a nine (laughs) a good point three we don't do decimals here. Uh, we'll go with just a, a solid nine. Good TV. Uh, who would you say had the must-see performance in this episode? I mean, it's... Mm, well, I mean, I just... <laughs> I love Alice Gosley so much. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's got to be Dixie Carter, right? She gets, the, she gets the lines that really get to rile up the crowd. I mean... Yeah. Knowing that Dixie Carter was also on the conservative side, yes. too, um, you know, if you kind of look at it through that lens, which, like, especially because everything's in hindsight now with this show, you know, it almost makes it a little bit more satisfying to believe that, you know, she was, uh, she did believe the things that Julia was saying. Um, maybe that's me just wishful thinking. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, she definitely gets 
the like showiest stuff. Like Sheen yeah. Smart has like two punchlines. Uh, Delta Burke doesn't really even say that kinda, much. I'll give it to Mary Jill. I'll give it to Annie Potts just because I really do like the nuance kind of like in a daze in over her head kind of like rising to the occasion arc she has. Mm-hmm. Which I think is very satisfying as well. But like both of them are great. Lastly, must other people see this episode of television? Absolutely. Yes. This is especially, okay, kids, gather round. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> watch. I mean, like, I do think that this episode, for being a filmed in front of a live studio audience, multi camera sitcom filmed on tape, not on film, I, I think. I might have just put my foot in my mouth. Um, yeah, it is all that, but it is also like such a good time capsule of like, a sitcom needed to say all of this stuff without obfuscation via punchline. It had to just mm-hmm. say you cannot get AIDS via air. <laughs> like, yeah. Because no one else was. And I think that, like, you know, I think you're very aware of how uh, on a tear I am with preaching gay history uh, literally all the time. <laughs> and I'm right there with you. <laughs> because, like, it is... <sighs> I yeah, just to paraphrase RuPaul, it's like as gay people we got to tell our history. Um because I mean, because again, schools aren't teaching this. Uh if you're in Tennessee, they're trying to actually make it uh illegal to just teach gay history without warning parents first and giving them a month to pull their kids out of the lesson if they object. So it is upon everyone to to learn your history. And obviously, like watching current things like it's a sin is great mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe does a better job of showing what it was like <laughs> well i mean we have uh you know a show today can learn from certain mistakes or yes. you know contextualize itself in a way that it doesn't have to walk as fine of a line as this episode of designing women did because no one else was having these type yeah. of conversations so I think that, like, definitely watch this. And uh, basically every single streaming service has a gay history documentary. They they all launch with one now. It is part of the streaming service launch pack. So <laughs> go watch any of those. Um, but yeah, this is the kickoff to Pride Buff. I'm glad that it wasn't uh, as uh, cathartically angry as I was <laughs> worried it might get when I start talking about this stuff. Yeah, got a whole month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I actually, I don't know what other episodes I'm covering, so, like, who knows? It could still happen. Uh, just, it's just a lot. This is a lot. Um, where could people find you on the internet if they want to talk about all things uh, gay? <laughs> uh, definitely, I am only ever talking about all things gay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Chris V File. That is F E I L. Uh, you can follow my podcast. This had Oscar Buzz. We are also on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore Buzz. Excellent day and. That does it for this episode of Must Have Seen TV. Thanks again to my guest Chris File for dropping by talking about designing women with me. Next time I'll be discussing I don't know. So uh, hold on to your butts. It's going to be a whole month of gay stuff. I'm planning ahead, which is why I don't know what it's going to be yet. But there's some good stuff. Good stuff coming. Uh, until then, I want to hear from all of you. Follow Must Have Seen TV on Twitter and Instagram. And let's talk about sitcoms. And if you have any Hayden Rourke questions for my Q&Gay, email TV at gmail.com or just at me on Twitter. Rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts because, again, I need validation. Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Brett White revalidation read the words that are right at decider.com uh including pieces about deciding designing women and golden girls being uh, gay icons thanks to Acast for hosting this gay nonsense and thanks to all y'all for listening and i will see y'all next time on must have seen tv cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 